Tired of the negative news and flashover substance? It's time for Today with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and PhD with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamlined news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Hello and welcome to Today with Dr. Wendy. We are delighted you are joining us. This is a historic and monumental day. We're going to break it down a little bit for you. I am joined, as I always am, with my co-host, Larry Dersham, constitutional lawyer. And I have a feeling we may be talking a little bit about the Constitution today. Because today is the final announcement that we've all been waiting for about the Supreme Court nomination of Judge Barrett. So Amy Coney Barrett, why was she nominated so quickly? Why did we need to fill the seat? Etc. Well, let's start with the Constitution. Is eight enough? Now, I'm going to date myself and say that I actually grew up in a time period when there used to be a television show called Eight is Enough. Do any of you remember that? This was an American television comedy drama series. It ran on ABC from 1977, actually all the way through May 23rd, 1981. And it was modeled on the life, the real life of a syndicated newspaper columnist, supposedly a real life parent with eight children, remember who wrote a book by the same title. So it was a show impersonating real life, sort of like the Brady Bunch, except that was a fictional group, I think. Some of you may be listening saying, hey, that's what my family sounds like. Well, is eight enough if we're talking about the Supreme Court? Now, to quote the beloved late Justice Ginsburg herself, eight is not a good number. Now, why did she say that? Well, and I'm going to paraphrase in my own words, that would be short-staffed, and short-staffed is short-sighted because you cannot, you cannot properly and procedurally produce precedent if it's a 4-4 split, and that's problematic because you're not able to have any long-term effects or long-term consequences if all that does, Ty, of course, sends the case back to the lower court, or maybe they can defer it until they're back at full steam and full staff. So that's problematic, and especially problematic right now when we have so many important cases, both on calendar and in the queue, not to mention One of the most important cases that may be coming down the pike that might stem from the election results this year. Now, why do I say that? Well, it's going to be a close election. Now, I know the polls say whatever they say, but we already can tell that there probably are going to be more votes for the current president than are being reflected in many of those polls. We already know there's allegations being made over potential voting fraud election ballot issues, mail-in ballot issues. So you put all that together and what does that sound like? Many people think it might sound like Bush versus Gore. Remember that case back in the year 2000 went all the way up to the Supreme Court where a 5-4, not a 4-4 split, goes down to the lower court, a 5-4 decision halted the Florida recount. In effect, handing the election to President Bush. So you can imagine the stakes can't be higher. So, of course, the president wanted to nominate somebody and fasten your seatbelt now that he has. So having said all of that, let me uh, tell you a little bit about Judge Barrett. And, of course, we're going to be talking a lot about that, probably talking about it next week, too. This is going to be a big deal. 
Um, but she basically is somebody that has been previously vetted. And that's important. And I say previously vetted because remember, she was nominated and then confirmed for the Seventh Circuit uh, post in which she currently holds. So she's both practiced and polished in the sense that she's been through the nomination process. She's been asked many of the tough questions. But there's more to Judge Barrett than just an accomplished jurist. We understand she's Catholic, and we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. But she is a wife and a mother of, count them, seven children, all under the age of 20. So you can imagine, uh, this is a woman that knows what chaos is like. Talk about, can she handle a confirmation hearing, being in the hot seat, fireworks? Yes, I think she can. So seven kids, all under the age of 20, two of them were adopted from Haiti. The youngest one has Down syndrome. She has a lot of challenges and a big heart full of grace. So she does have a lot of practice, both personally and professionally, for the challenges that she will face if she is confirmed, which it looks like she may be because the math looks like it's there for the Supreme Court. But I do also have to say that there have been some questions about her stances in the past because being going through a confirmation hearing, it's kind of like going through the um, TSA scan at the airport. It's a full body scan and then they scan your luggage. Her baggage is her opinions, her writings, her affiliations, everything she has said, wrote and done in the past. And some of that has been cause for concern. And that came up by some fiery exchanges that we're still talking about for from her 2017 hearing. Uh, do we remember what some of those were? Right, Wendy. Uh, Senate Judiciary Committee hearing held on September 6, 2017, uh, to appoint uh, Barrett uh, to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. On that very day, Senate uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein told Barrett directly her Catholic beliefs were concerning as they might influence her judicial decision on abortion. So uh, Diane Feinstein said, why is it that so many of us on this side have this very uncomfortable feeling that dogma and law are two different things? And I think whatever a religion is, it has its own dogma. The law is totally different. But here's, listen to this phrase. And Diane Feinstein went on to say, and I think in your case, Professor... When you read speeches, your speeches, the conclusion one draws is that the dogma lives loudly within you, and that's of concern. And uh, just a quick uh, note of what a dogma is. It's a doctrine or a corpus of doctrines related to matters such as morality and faith set forth in an authoritative manner by a religion. And I guess for Christians like us, that would be the Bible. So. it looks like a religious test uh, might be on the uh, the line here as far as the questioning goes. Well, I agree with that. And I also think it was interesting uh, back in 2017 at her own confirmation hearing that notwithstanding that question from the senator and notwithstanding that concern that she represented was shared by many of her colleagues, three Democratic senators voted to confirm Judge Barrett. What do you think about that? And what was interesting about that was one of them was former VP candidate Tim Kaine, also religious. And one of the most interesting things that has come out in the last couple of weeks is a statement by him basically um, changing the test that he's going to use this time around because he doesn't so much, at least according to him, 
have the problem with her merits, but with the process. In fact, there's a great quote that uh, he basically said he he expressed the uh, reservations that he has. And he says he wouldn't vote for a nominee of an illegitimate process. He said, I don't care who it is. It could be Aaron Judge or Judge Judy, <laughs> who makes way too much money to ever give up her job and run for the Supreme Court. Right. But she basically, he basically said, I'm not going to vote for somebody that's put up in an illegitimate process. Now, that is interesting, Larry, because what we seem to be saying is she's qualified. I understand the religious test, the litmus test. That shouldn't be so. But justifiably, some of the Democrats believe maybe not so much she's going to overturn Roe versus Wade but that she's going to rule in a fashion that chips away at some of the um, reproductive women's health rights that women now have. Now, why do I say that they probably don't really believe she's gonna try to do something drastic and radical, like overturn precedent that's been around for so many years? Because she was asked that question at her own confirmation hearing, and she was very articulate, very gracious, as she is, she has a great judicial temperament, but she very calmly and ra and rationally explained that notwithstanding her Catholic upbringing, she's not going to allow that to infect her decisions. And she is, in fact, going to follow settled law. And she views, and I'm paraphrasing what she said at her last confirmation hearing, she views Roe not only as settled law, but as settled law that's been settled and been has been consistently confirmed and upheld for decades. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but to go back to that religious test, I want all the listeners to know this, that it's right in the Constitution. It's Article 6, Clause 3. And anybody can go out to Google and look that up. And it just says in that uh, Clause 3 that no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. That's pretty clear. I don't think there's any room for uh, wiggle room in that one. But that's not what they're going to say they're doing. And that's the interesting yeah. part of this is they're, they are going to be asking questions that are designed to elicit bias. In the same way, I, you and I question jurors in voir dire. Our questions are not designed to use unconstitutional standards to vet candidates. They're designed to elicit bias that maybe the candidate won't admit or doesn't know about, or maybe it's implicit. Um, but one of the things that really characterizes Judge Barrett um, and really makes her stand out from the pack, she's not an unknown. Um, we know her because she's been on the president's radar for so many years. We also know her because she is somebody that the president said he was saving for, for Justice Ginsburg's replacement. Now, I do have I do have to note that nobody can replace Justice Ginsburg. She's irreplaceable. What a dear lady. She did so many things for women's rights. But who's to say that Judge Barrett, who will herself be the fifth woman ever appointed to the Supreme Court, if in fact she's appointed, who's to say that she won't do great things for women as well? So maybe we give her a chance. She certainly got the votes. We can hope for the best. But Larry, you know, one of the other things um, in the 30 seconds we have left or so, um, this is going to be this president's third appointee on the court. And that is more than any president has installed in a first term since Richard Nixon had four. That's pretty significant. Yeah, I understand George Washington appointed three. That that goes pretty far back. <laughs> yeah, but, no, it uh, goes pretty far back. But, but one thing about uh, the, the new justice that's going to be uh, nominated here, that she has written that a Supreme Court precedents are not sacred. Uh, sacrosanct. That means they're not sacred. So I know the uh, the uh, other side has interpreted that as the possibility that they're going to she's going to try to to overturn Roe v. Wade. Uh, but I wouldn't interpret it that way. 
No, and you know the the great thing about her is um, she very she is level headed enough to really uh, understand what she needs to do at that confirmation hearing, and I believe she is ready for the hot seat. Again, polished, practiced, professional, uh, and I think she can take the heat. So we're all going to be watching that, and I'm sure we'll be discussing it again on the show. Uh, stay with us. We have a, an action-packed second half of the show for you. You are listening to Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick. Be right back. News cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to the headline highlights on Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Welcome back. You are listening to Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick and I'm here with Larry Dersham. And we are breaking down the news you can use. And what do we have coming up this week? Something many of us have been looking forward to all year long. That's right, the presidential debates. Wow, this is going to be good TV. You have both sides preparing for this, but I have to say, it sure seems like President Trump has been preparing for this almost with every news conference he's had over the last couple of weeks. And he's had more in the last couple of weeks that I think he may have had in the last three years because he is gearing up to really have a stunning performance this week. Now, I understand today is the day that Joe Biden is beginning to prepare as well, but this is going to be a big deal. And I understand that some people are already voting, but more people are waiting to see how both of these candidates are going to answer some of the tough questions, some of the kitchen table issue questions that are very relevant to people deciding who they're gonna vote for. Now it's true, some people already have their mind made up, they're just gonna go with the R, with the D, with the conservative, with the liberal, but there are also swing voters that are going to see what these two men have to say and how they square up on the debate stage. Because as we say, viewers are voters. However, there may be some other issues as well when it comes to casting a ballot. It's not just about whether you cast a ballot, but how do we fairly count them? Right. Uh, yeah, fair and honest Americans uh, need to ask themselves, can an all mail-in ballot election be fair, honest, and fraud-free, basically? Now, I know we had a really good uh, show on this uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I think it uh, made us feel a little bit better about how this is all going to work. But uh Perhaps the first question that we should ask, is an all-mail-in ballot election even necessary? Yes, it's true. We've got the COVID-19 pandemic currently stalking the world, but both Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks, our nation's top infectious disease experts, have said they do not see any problem with people going to the polls. I mean, we go to Walmart, we go to Home Depot, we go to Lowe's. And we pick up the same uh, toolbox that people have touched over and over again. But yet we can't go to the voting. But anyhow, that aside, we, it looks like we are in for an all-mail-in ballot uh, election. Well, Larry, let me ask you about that. Because I know that some of our listeners are probably listening and thinking, wait a minute. 
I love going to the polls every year. I like getting my little I voted sticker. It's a process. I like fulfilling my my civic duty. Just because mail-in balloting is available in our state doesn't mean I'm going to actually do that. In fact, we all we know we had Michael Vu on. We know there's going to be lots and lots of polling stations. So it seems like, and I'm playing devil's advocate here because I know some of our listeners might be thinking this. We're assuming that everybody's going to choose mail-in balloting, and we're go- we're also assuming that that is, as you say, fraught with problems with fraud. No pun intended. How? How do we know that that's actually as significant of an issue as the president says that it is? Right. There's been so many examples, Wendy, uh, during Nevada, uh, Nevada's June 2020 primaries. And that was just a few months ago. More than 223,000 mail-in ballots in the state's largest county were sent to the wrong and to out-of-state addresses. Uh, from 2012 to 2018, nearly 30 million ballots went mysteriously missing across the country. Uh, th- these are numbers that you can all pull up. And th- so that adds up to about one in five absentee ballots went missing uh, during those years. Uh, now, what's the difference between absentee balloting and uh, mail-in balloting? Yeah, and that, I know that I know the difference. You know the difference. But yeah. let's let our listeners know that because I know those terms are used interchangeably, and they shouldn't be. They're yes. two entirely different things. Totally. So, in San Diego County, uh, for example, there is they don't even call it absentee balloting. It's just called mail-in balloting. But for most other states, you have to request an absentee ballot. You say, well, I'm overseas. In fact, they're actually voting for, uh, from outer space at the space station. I just saw that today. Kind of, <laughs> kind of funny that. in the news. And there's no COVID on the space station yet. Yeah, so and, 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 They don't have to socially distance. And they're not going <laughs> to lose that ballot. I'm pretty confident. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, so uh, but that's the difference. Yeah, so with the all mail-in ballots, they just blast them out to everybody on the voter rolls, and we know there's been lawsuits on this that the voter rolls are just fraught with glitches where people have moved away and have not notified anybody, or people have actually passed away, and still those ballots are going out. That's the worrisome part, and I, I, I think for me and many others, this is the most worrisome thing that's on my plate right now because I just want things to be fair. Uh, Well, Larry, you know how you can worry less is by sleeping more. And I want to make sure we get to our silver lining story of the week, because we are going to start with a a fun fact. How many hours of sleep a night? Talk about who's up for the job, Joe Biden or President Trump. How many hours a night does Donald Trump get? Do you know, Larry? Yeah, uh, I believe he gets uh, four to five hours a night (laughs) on the average. And I think well, he stays they, up to midnight, uh, sometimes to one o'clock, and he's up sharp at five a.m. Go on, he's he's a as they call say a force of nature. I mean, just that's right. A lot of people he, think he would, never sleeps. Well, I, I think the interesting thing you now he may do what the rest of us do is um, sleep on our iPhone. Oh my gosh, did I actually admit <laughs> that on the air? So what happens with those of us that sleep with our phones is when you wake up in the middle of the night, you go through a couple of screens of email. I know when you get a life. But if you live that way, and I know many people do because I sometimes get responses at two in the morning from somebody else who's up scrolling through their emails, but the president is very energetic. And that is notwithstanding, as you've pointed out, this reality that he actually probably gets very little sleep. Now, I don't know how many hours of sleep Joe Biden gets. And in fact, if I was one of these attendees asking a debate question, that probably would be a good one, especially given all of the flack he always gets about his memory, his health, his gaffes. 
Well, so you know, he is that, called he's called Sleepy Joe. You know that, right? Uh, well, according to the president. <laughs> but given the, there actually is some research on this. I understand, Larry. Yeah, there are. There is, and it, it's it's called the Thatcher gene, uh, named after the Prime Minister uh, Margaret Thatcher, who was an amazing person. She she got by uh, basically seven days a week on four hours a uh, four hours of sleep or less. And they also call it, you know the Thatcher gene. It's also called short a short sleeper. And there's actually some research that was done on this by uh, a person out of uh, San Francisco, uh, University of California, San Francisco. Her name was Ying Hu Fu, and she started to study on this, and she said there actually is a gene on this. And some people have it. President Trump, I would say, obviously has it. But they have ability to just really excel without little sleep, which is... And let me tell you why that's important, because we keep talking about this 3 a.m. call. Remember, that came up in the last debate in the last presidential election. Who's going to be able to respond to that 3 a.m. call? Somebody with the sleeper gene, somebody with the, in this group, they call, they also call them the sleepless elite. How do you like that? But somebody with this factor gene or uh, short sleepers, however you want to phrase it, will be awake and alert for that 3 a.m. call. And I know you might think, oh, you know, well, gosh, you know, we're nitpicking, but this is the practical reality of being the president. In fact, I'm not sure that everybody's following this, but when we have the, um, the schedules that come out, uh, Joe Biden's schedule, Vice President Biden's schedule, the president's schedule, many people read that and are absolutely shocked and amazed at how much these two 70-something-year-olds both have on their schedules. So how can we assure ourselves that this is going to continue for the next couple of years? Now, that would be the heavy story, but we're in the silver lining segment. So it's my understanding that there's a little bit of fun research as to how much sleep past presidents got. Give us a couple of fun examples. Right. Barack Obama, during his presidency, he was called a classic night owl. And he'd often work for several hours after dinner up until about 2 a.m. And then he would uh, sleep or rest for five hours. Uh, Bill Clinton, on the other hand, former President Bill Clinton, got more sleep than Trump and Obama, but not by much. He averaged about six hours per night, uh, though he often would get only four. And uh, another good example, George W. Bush, that's the the younger Bush, uh, he slept uh, more than most presidents by getting nine hours of sleep nightly. Whoa, and Whoa that's a lot of sleep. If you just jump over to this, Calvin Coolidge, which is way before all of our times, uh, he slept 11 hours a night. But some oh people goodness. attributed that to the fact that he lost his uh, son at a, a very young age. And they thought that there might be some depression link in there that, that he would sleep yeah. that long. Well, what's interesting about all of this um, anecdotal research is I always wonder when I read studies like this, um, studies and quotes, is how do you know how much sleep these men actually got? I understand it might be self-reporting and um, maybe you want to look for some corroboration. But what's what's even more interesting as to who may or may not have fallen into some of these categories is, I guess, what the characteristics are of a short sleeper. Now, many of you may be listening thinking, oh, my gosh, I would be dead to the world if I got only four hours every night. But some of these short sleepers with the Thatcher gene, the sleepless elite, whatever we call them, I understand they are energetic. Yes. In other words, they don't seem to need as much sleep. They're outgoing. I mean, how does that work? I know a lot of people that don't get enough sleep, the last thing they want to do is go out and mix and mingle. They would rather just lie on the couch. And then I also understand that they're optimistic. Right. Yeah. Normal people, usually when they lack sleep, they're cranky and yeah. pessimistic. But uh, these uh, the Thatcher gene people are very optimistic. 
Yes, that's interesting. Here's one that I do understand, Larry. They're ambitious. They and remember, there's a script. You know, there's plenty of scripture on this. You know, nobody is supposed to be lazy. A little folded hands. I mean, there's just so much that we are told about being productive and not wasting time. But getting enough sleep is very important, and it's obviously an individual decision. But back to this interesting short sleeper story. I understand they're also supposedly ambitious because rather than lying in bed for extra hours, they get up and they take the world by storm. That's probably because they're not fatigued and feeling like the rest of us might if we only got four hours a night. And I understand they have a high metabolism. Yeah, that, that's what they say with all that energy that, uh, you know, they're sometimes they're fidgety and, and so forth. And uh, but with all that uh, lack of sleep, they're always doing something. And I think that burns calories, basically. So, so yeah, high metabolism. Larry, I think that you're a short sleeper because of the lifestyle that you lead. And also you and I are exchanging emails in the middle of the night. So you either sleep with your phone like I do or you get up at the same time I do as well. Well, that's all very interesting. But, you know, I do also bring this up. It's sure it's a silver lining, but it also is relevant to the upcoming election because we want to make sure whoever is elected is politically, cognitively and physically able to do the job. So um, we're going into a week of debates. We're going to keep talking about some of these great things. Today was a monumental day as far as the Supreme Court nomination. And it's almost difficult to narrow down what to talk about each time we have a show. But we are glad that you join us regardless of what the topics are for the day because this is always going to be news you can use. So thank you for joining another episode of Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick. God bless you. We will see you next week. Thank you for joining us for Today with Dr. Wendy. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day. This has been Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. 